Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of Everything Under the Sun is sponsored by NHTSA. A child's body temperature rises three to five times faster than an adult's, and leaving a child in a hot vehicle can lead to their death very quickly. Tragically, in 2020, 24 children died of pediatric vehicular heat stroke, and many of these incidents occurred when parents or caregivers simply forgot the child was in the car. Please set yourself reminders on your cell phone or place something you'll need in the back seat so you don't forget your child. Always look for your baby before you lock. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories and information about the weather and climate and science and how they interact with our daily lives. I'm your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore. I've been off AccuWeather from my radio duties here this week, but checking in with our eighth episode of our spring series. We break down the seasons and help you get through trying to weatherproof your life for each and every day. And we've been going through spring. Some people call this planting season. Some people call it flower season. Some people call it vegetable season. At the heart of that, the seed. The Burpee Seed Company has been around since uh, the 1800s and we are going to talk with the chairman at the W. Atlee Burpee Seed Company, George Carl Ball Jr., an amazing person who has done so much for this industry. And it really is a great conversation to have when we are year two of dealing with the pandemic and we saw the immense uh, interest and growth and expansion of people growing and being outdoors. And so looking forward to this conversation with George Ball. We'll also be talking with Paul Pastelock, our chief long-range forecaster, who is going to give us a little bit of a preview of the spring to summer forecast here as we get ready to move into meteorological summer at the beginning of June. The summer forecast from AccuWeather is out. You can read about it on AccuWeather.com. Just search summer forecast. Paul will be in our second segment today when we talk about that summer forecast and also give a little preview of this upcoming weekend and week. Friends, it is time to talk about everything under the sun. Over the past year and a half, the pandemic has forced many of us to rediscover things that maybe we hadn't done since our childhood. And certainly one of those things, at least for me, has been really an increased thought about taking time to be out in the garden. I know I've spent the better part of the last two years now really over doing my whole garden setup and I'm really proud of the way it looks and you know I've been learning more and more about gardening by trial and error and certainly one thing that I discovered was gardening and being outside certainly has a lot of kind of things that are parallel with how to teach you about life and what's going on in your life and that's the essence of what I want to talk about to George Ball the American seedsman who's now served as the chairman and CEO of the W. Atlee Burpee Company since 1991. This company is iconic in American history. You know the catalogs that your grandparents and your parents got. Uh, it's certainly seen a resurgence. And George Ball joins us here to talk about that resurgence and everything else about gardening and life and 
the second spring and summer of the pandemic right here on Everything Under the Sun. So, George, uh, you know, I have been extremely happy over the last couple of years. I was always someone who was kind of a, a gardener intermittently, but obviously, like so many others with the pandemic, um, gardening has become something that has really meant a lot to me. It's really kind of saved me in some ways, given me things to look forward to. It's got to be really amazingly to see this kind of resurgence into gardening and being in the outdoors has to be very rewarding to you at this time in your life. Well, this is absolutely a, a critical moment in the history of gardening in this country. And it's a what they call a turning point, I think, uh, for the positive. And what I mean is, is that you go from a trend to something that becomes a structural change. And that's what's happened. We've had ups and downs. The gardening industry is counter-seasonal to economic trends in a general way. That's historically. When there was a depression that was huge in the back in the last century, there was huge boom in gardening. And when things are going really great, say the decade before that, uh, there was very little interest in gardening because people were just going uh, gangbusters in the economy and industrialization. But the gardening in this country has, the last 18 months, absolutely exploded like I have never seen ever, ever, ever. And up until recently, there was actually this counter-seasonality was more at the margins, Dean. Like, in other words, if it, things were really good, right, uh, we did badly. And if things were really bad, we did super well. Right. As opposed to this general sense. So the generality sense, because it's not an agricultural country anymore, it's an industrial country. I mean, number of people who live on farms is like 1% or something, somebody told me. But anyway, my point is, is that this blew out the extremes. This COVID launched an entire generation of gardeners. We have literally millions of new gardeners that have come in in the last 18 months. And no one has ever seen that in gardening. It's almost like something like you'd see in telecommunications or, you know, IT or computers or something. Right. Like that. Yeah, I agree with that. But but even maybe even more of a quick ramp up. And, and it, it's been so obvious to me as you've been going out, you know, last year, I think the, the start of the pandemic was right at the start of the growing season or the planting season for a lot of folks in a lot of zones and things. And then, you know, this year it was just like, Things have been sold out at my garden supply store. I mean, I couldn't get pots to start and seeds as much. I had to, I had to use uh, solo cups, right? We had to, yeah. we had to make do. So, yeah. I mean, the the demand to do this is just it's 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 incredible. Um, yes. This idea of gardening is something that gives I think a lot of people a little solace and a little comfort when everything else is going to heck in a handbasket around them. Yeah, well, you know, it's you can look at it. That's that's very interesting. You can look at it as a perfect storm type of effect. Because I see the, the, the interest in gardening actually has gotten up and up towards the uh, end of 19. There was, it began, we began to see a resurgence in gardening that we couldn't relate to the economic conditions because the economic conditions were great. But there was sort of this social atmosphere that was negative. People are looking at television all the time and seeing all this negativity. So we saw an interest in gardening in the fall of 19. But it was just like a great growth in, from the current level right at the first week of spring right it was the week before spring mm -hmm. right i remember it was the 13th and spring starts on the 20th of march and there it right. was 
Lockdown. And there was, yeah, that was the that was when I got knocked out of working from my office to yep. home where I've been for over a year. And I think that helped too, right, George? Because more oh, people that, were spending more the, time at home and being able to do things more around their house versus yeah, what they were doing before. That's right. That's the other pattern. The lockdown introduced people to their backyards. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm telling you, I was locked down. Many, many thousands, if not millions of people were locked down. And the thing that's interesting is that ever since TV... The yard for many people that most people aren't gardeners in this country. Most people, overwhelming majority of people, in fact, are not gardeners. Right. Because over the last couple of generations, that hasn't been something that's been taught by our parents to us. Now, I was fortunate. We had a little garden in our house and stuff. So I was one of those few, but I had a little bit of a background. But yeah, there's so many people coming into this. They have no idea what to do, but they're learning fast, right? Well, and and they're inspired by what they see. It's more than just people becoming gardeners for the first time. It's like people discovering their backyard for the first time, because a lot of people stay indoors and have been staying indoors since the television and computers. And now kids, I mean, the the obesity in young children is shocking. And this will change all that. And like Europe, you know, the people walk everywhere, the people garden like crazy. There's just a longer tradition, as you say, of your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents. In Europe, that's that's a given. In the United States, we're very mobile, and then we're very technologically oriented, industrialized, and we move around all the time. The central fact about America is space. You know, you just have so much space, and everybody just goes everywhere. Well, that's changed in the last 18 months. People are locking down, and they're they're going like vertically into their lives in the place they have, and they're not leaving home much. It's ex- it's extraordinary. And so what do they do in the last two growing seasons? Add the fall growing season of fall of 20. We actually had an experience where our sales didn't decline over the whole whole year. Usually we have a bell curve. This was a a sort of a sign curve. It just went straight up and stayed there. So people were buying in the fall in advance of the upcoming spring, already making plans and stuff, or they were continuing to grow in the areas in the southern part of the country that were able to continue to grow and keep working it. Is that well, or is no, it kind of both? Both. Uh, the both. That, that's, that's, very, that's very true, Dean. In the south, of course, there's always a fall garden. We call it the second summer. But actually in the north, there's also a great deal that you can do in the fall. It's not as mm-hmm. much. South, but you can grow a lot of leaf crops in the in the fall. Broccoli, anyway, cauliflower, some yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah second started match, early right? enough in the summer. So yeah, we were seeing we were seeing people buying early for next spring. We saw people who said, "Oh, I didn't get on the wagon. I wasn't on time." And we introduced them to the fact that they could garden in the fall if they missed the spring. And then some people said, "Well, I missed the whole year, so I'm going to buy early for 21." So it, it, just to make a long story short. We've we've been running we've been running out of things. Forget about our customers running out of things. We've been running out of things too. It's an exciting time too, George, because we've got a mix of um, you know old school just just agrarian kind of philosophy mixed with technology that's creating products that are even better than before. You know, I was reading about the history of burpee and. And, and, you know, some of the innovations over the years, uh, things that is in the lexicon of our lives, Ford hook lima beans and corn and certain things. But, you know, there's probably even more things now that we're creating the ability for people to grow the most amazing fruits and vegetables and flowers and things because of that combination of good old fashioned sense and all the new great technology we have. Well, yeah, the, the existing gardeners have been able to 
have more time to do their thing, right? But the new gardeners tend to be in a, in a sort of a category of themselves. They, they really want to know what to do. And when they're told it's vegetables and flowers that they can do, they tend to go, a garden is very much a signature of your personality. I mean, you know, even if you, if you, if you don't want it to be, it is. And people get into a groove and they kind of stay there with gardening uh, when they start out. Kind of like with food, right? When you well, exactly. You're right. You 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 start with a few things, and then you and then you kind of stick with that for a while, and then you start getting more adventurous. Yes, but there is trial and error in gardening. I mean, you can fail, right? Yeah, our stats show that people our stats show that people grow the food they like to eat. It's extraordinary. We we try to introduce people to things like eggplants and things like that. It's very hard actually in gardening. So it's the new gardeners that tend to want to explore more. But the caution with the new gardeners is they always do too much and they usually <laughs> do too much too early. If you yeah. wait a little longer, if you sort of count to 100 or whatever it is, if you wait a little longer, your, your crops like your early summer, late spring crops will do a lot better. The sensitive crops like cucumbers can always be ruined by sowing too early. So, summer squash can be ruined by sowing too early. Your, your other things like that, you know, they and your beans, your green beans. Don't want to don't want to start those too early because oh, there's an expression in Holland. I know this expression. <laughs> One swallow doesn't mean the summer. It's, it's translation. <laughs> right. so in other words, we get these early days that right. are so warm. Like right yep. now, it's a, the last few days. It's been shockingly summer weather. Right. And uh, you know we're not even done with spring. No, we live. I live in central Pennsylvania and we have a couple of more situations where I got to be worried about some of my stuff if I put it in the ground too early. But yeah, That's I right. think that it's a big mistake. Also, I think another one, would you agree, overcrowding of yes. garden space is a big yes. mistake that early yes. uh, you know, new gardeners make. Yes. Right? Facing we at Burpee are always telling people about when and about spacing. So it's always the when that disappoints the gardener. They're either too early, too late. And then, and then the crowding is a function of wanting to do too much. They just, there's just this, I want to cram my garden when I'm a new gardener. And that's a, that's not wise. That's not wise. And because spacing is, is so essential because the plants are reaching the sun. And if they're too close together, there's going to be disease. There's not going to be good air movement. There's not going to be enough light in the bottom half of the plants. And you're going to have uh, you're going to have a negative experience. You're going to have a bad experience. I think the other thing too is uh, you know some people move into their development or their new house and they just assume they've got good soil around yeah. their house. And honestly, I know you know I've been working 15 years in the place that I am, and I'm finally getting good loamy soil because everything was rocky and 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 so uh, it takes work and it honestly takes. Um, you know, maybe some advice from people around your area to kind of give you, you know, if you know someone that does a greenhouse or whatever, they will have good advice on terms of time and quality of soil and yeah, and, yeah. and what side of the house to put things on. That's another big thing. Yeah, when does it get the sun right. and right? right? Yeah. And the, the, I think the general context for new gardeners that's a good thing to think about is to think about the world as a, sort of like a machine, if that makes any sense. In other words, here comes the sun. And what is spring? Spring is the explosion of plants. You know, the summers are defined by the plant world, not by anything we do. And so spring is the spring, the springing up of plants. And the summer is when those plants are no longer exploding. 
and summer suggests the summit. In other words, you reach a level upcoming here in June 20, you reach a level where the plants are not exploding anymore. They're growing, but they're expanding their leaves, they're thickening their stems, and they're getting ready for the reproductive cycle at the end of the summer that you know goes into the early fall. Which and either so when, produces a fruit or a yeah, vegetable yeah, or a yeah. flower towards the end. That's, right, that's plants, right. So when right? people can understand the reproductive processes, then they can get to know their plants like they know their pets. A garden is really kind of like a pet kind of thing. It the really more is, you yeah. know your pets, exactly what they need and how they need it. For example, garden watering in the morning. You want to water in the morning when it's the late spring and, and early summer and well into the summer. You don't want to water in the afternoon because particularly, say, vegetables and particularly tomatoes. Tomatoes hate wet feet and most vegetables hate wet feet because they, they want to have the aeration. They want to be growing very, very much and rapidly and vigorously. And if you overwater or if you water at the wrong time and thus overwater because it's, they get wet feet all night, you know, you're hurting your plants. You just don't want to do that. Right. Because your plants are dependent on you. They are, these are not nature. This is not nature. This is the domestic home. The, the garden is a part of your home. So long as you can understand as a new gardener, there's do's and don'ts. And you have to follow these rules, just like you do with your pets. You have to walk your dog. You have to do these things with your garden. It's the same kind of thing. And once people, I've seen people click, literally click, and they go, oh, yeah, you know, the sun comes and the sun goes and and the sun is the source of that. I always tell people the sun is my boss because, <laughs> uh, you know, I own the company and everything, but the sun is my boss. And Paul, when you tell gardeners that the sun is your boss, that makes them feel better. <laughs> big picture, you know, the big, yeah, it's a big, I know. I understand. I think part of it too, George is understanding the process that the plant goes through. And you mentioned that it's like, where is it in the stage? What does it need right now? What's its next thing? What do you want out of that? Do you want yeah. the most gorgeous flowers? Do you want the best thing looking uh, tasting things. Yes. How do you, how do you get all that? The, 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 right. But then yeah. it's, it's once you learn those things. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then it's like you said, then the next step is kind of expanding your comfort zone to get into some other things um, for the folks that are just uh, putting stuff in the ground, trying to, you know, I, I've been doing more from seed to start and getting it a little bit more established, like uh, some things to, uh, I'm just doing, uh, I think, some morning glories right now and some moonflowers. I'm getting those established now in pots so that I can make that transplant to the place I put them out when I know we're going to be okay in a couple of weeks without frost or whatever. Yeah, well, um, you can you can sow them directly in the soil. There's a lot of things you can sow directly in the soil sure. that people don't even know about. But most things can be sown directly in the soil, obviously, because tomatoes, you see the volunteers of the tomatoes right. you had last time. If you And they come up and they produce crops. Oh, yeah. So, so there's a lot of things that can go in the ground. And, and this is a great time to be sowing. This is a great time to be sowing. Not too early for some of the things. You want to be a little careful, like I said, with the cukes and maybe with the bush beans, the more vigorous beans. But I just think it's, a, it's very easy to garden, actually. If you think of it as your child, you know, what do you have to do with your child? It's the same kind of things. You're going to learn those things just like that. We're talking with George Ball, the uh, chairman of uh, Burpee Seeds, and you have a, a I've been, um, you know, just getting ready for this interview. I've gone back and read the, the last couple. Uh, you do a quarterly newsletter, right? The Ford Hook Voice. Oh, I do. Com. That's a blog post. That's a blog yeah, post. It, that's yeah. I, have. I, I do it whenever I and whenever the spirit catches me, I'm doing it, you know. 
Well, so I, I, do it, I do it. It's a blog post. It's called Ford Hook Voice. And that's where I do my musings about about gardening and about also the meaning of gardening in human life. I think that's really the nexus that I really enjoyed in, in these articles. You know, we have a, a pretty prolific CEO and founder. His name is Dr. Joel Myers. You probably know that name. Oh, yes. Uh, from weather. And so I think, uh, you know, just interviewing you, there's a lot of similarities. Folks that, you know, have a very in-depth understanding of a process. This one would be agriculture and seeds and growing and those kinds of things for you. And then understanding how that that goes and kind of works with what's going on in life. And, oh, and you you've know, got, it's very, it's, yeah. it's very interesting because weather, it's, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not unrelated weather. I mean, there's, there's astronomical time, right? Everybody says, Oh, it's, it's summer or it's, it's spring or it's fall. Well, meteorologically, that isn't so the meteorology, no. medi- the weather does not follow any rules. The weather is, as you know, chaotic. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a, a volatile. It's chaotic, always wanting to get back to an even keel at some that's point. Right. That's its goal, but it goes in all kinds of directions. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, like nature is always striving for balance, and it never achieves balance. With climate change, we've yeah. got longer growing seasons. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, know your zone, know what zone you're in, and and the, we've divided up uh, the country, the world into zones about their growing times and when to plant things and when you can put things in and what can go and that. So know your zone. But I'm seeing, you know, I'm my dahlias, they're lasting into November sometimes when you get keep that nice warm September and October, some nice flowers even into the early parts of November, getting longer situations. I think the big advice that I think you said, don't put things in too early. I think all of us want to rush things sometimes into the ground. Maybe that extra week or two, right, is a, is a good thing to maybe just take a breath and just wait a, another couple of weeks. And Yes, of course, as a general rule. But as a specific rule, I think the specific advice is much more important. And that is to know your region. Now, there's two types of zone maps. There's the perennial or winter hardiness zone map, which is the average minimum temperature in your area over in the winter, obviously. And that tells you what's going to survive the winter. But in the overwhelming number of crops in the garden are annuals, meaning they're annual flowers and annual vegetables. They go from seed to seed in one season. And for that, we have a growing season map which is different from the zone map. So the zones one, two, three, and all that jazz, you've got to make sure you're looking at the right map. If you want okay. to know when to grow your vegetable garden, you want to look at a growing season map. And the growing season map is based on the last killing frost date to the first killing frost date. And so it's a bracket. It's it's ironic. It's the obverse mm-hmm. of, the, of the perennial zone map. So a right. lot of people mistake the perennial zone map for the growing season zone map because the perennials zone map's been around. It's called the hardiness map. And they think that's hardiness of summer performance. It's not, it's based on winter and winter only and seeds, seeds fall off the plant in the, in the fall. You know, you're, you're not overwintering seeds, right? Absolutely. Uh, My friend, I, you know, it's, I I think we could do about six more of these and we may do that in the future. We may call on you uh, in in quarterly uh, and and talk to you some more. I'd like to love to talk to you. I'd like to get, you know, I know you don't like to talk about how much you've done for the agricultural, horticultural world. Uh, and, and I know that's not something you want to talk about, but uh, you and your company and everything, it's just been amazing, you know, and it's got to be rewarding now after giving back for so many years. You, you all are seeing uh, some great 
results here and people's excitement and interest. And I'm happy for you and your company and how that's grown. And it's, I'll tell you what, if without gardening, without burpee seeds and without that, for me, it would have been a long year and a half this last year. I certainly, uh, on behalf of all of us that are falling in love again with our gardens, thank you so much for all you and your company do. Well, thank you very much. And we do have a burpee foundation that, that helps people all over the world in horticultural education. So there is that thing that we do as well as the burpee company and burpee gardening company. So, so we're, we're, we're very pleased to be able to talk to your listeners today. George, thank you so much for being with us. I hope we can chat again soon. Likewise. Happy gardening. If you'd like to get more information about the Burpee Company, you just go to burpee, B-U-R-P-E-E dot com. And I'll tell you what, amazing reading for me over the last couple of weeks and should be for you. Uh, you can find George's blog postings, as we were talking about in the interview, at the website fordhookvoice.com. Ford Hook, of course, a, a lima bean variety that was developed by the uh, Burpee company, Ford Hook, F-O-R-D-H-O-O-K, voice, all one word, dot com. I think you'll enjoy that as much as I have over the next couple of weeks. I know I've been enjoying some of the warm-ups of uh, this late spring, early summer weather pattern, but we've also had some chill-downs, too. It's been very volatile across the lower 48. What does summer look like? More importantly, what does this upcoming weekend and the week beyond look like as well? That's up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. This podcast is sponsored by NHTSA. Leaving a child in a hot vehicle can lead to their death very quickly. Look for your baby before you lock. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. It is our eighth episode of the spring series as we're chugging right along. We are getting now the last three weeks of meteorological spring, ready to turn the calendar and meteorological summer here as we get towards the month of June. We're getting into solar summer, getting into the uh, first week or so here of May where we get into the three sunniest months of the year, and everyone's chomping at the bit to get out and get into summer activities. It's time to take a look at not only the weather for this upcoming weekend and the week beyond, but also a little bit of a summer preview. As over the last week, AccuWeather's summer forecast for 2021 has come out. And as your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore, it's always my pleasure to welcome our chief long-range forecaster from AccuWeather, Paul Pastelock into everything under the sun. Paul, it's uh, been an interesting few weeks. We've had a lot of ups and downs. You know, it does uh, heat builds in the West. East gets cold. It flips for a couple of days. We've been in this kind of back and forth pattern for a few weeks. And uh, this sun week here has been a little challenging for folks who are ready for a warm up in the East. And there's been a little chilly weather coming in, warming up in the West. Pretty typical changes for April, but it's been fast and furious here for the last few weeks. I can tell you, you know, as you get older, Dean, I'm actually, you know, coaching two sports right now. <laughs> and being out in the sun, when you have this type of air mass, it feels really nice when it's cooler and comfortable. I I'm enjoying that. But there's other folks that say, hey, I want it to warm up. It's about that time, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. Until this is over with, I, I can I can enjoy this perfectly here, this kind of weather. I, I agree with you. And, you know, one of the things as we were getting ready for the interview, we were talking about, and, and AccuWeather had this in their spring forecast. We talked uh, about a, sun, uh, a winter hangover into spring, mm -hmm. and this one is extended a little bit. And you were telling me it's really due to a last 
gasp, little sudden stratospheric warm up, a piece of that that has really kind of pushed some colder air down a little bit later in the season here for us. Talk a little bit about what's been going on in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, in April, late April, we had another little warming event that took place over the polar region in the uh, stratospheric level. And it, what it's done is kind of slipped the vortex uh, a little bit farther south and uh, some blocking uh, also across Canada and Greenland uh, all came together here to force this kind of chillier, cooler air mass that we're seeing going on right now, which is going to actually last uh, for you know about a week or so um, before it starts to depart. So we have more of this coming, more comfortable nights. You can ease back on any type of cooling that you need in the northern tier. Uh, so we're, we're kind of holding back summer just a little bit longer here um, before things start to turn around, we think, by the summertime period. And then as you uh, will get to the, the near-term forecast here over the next uh, few days heading into this upcoming weekend as this podcast drops on Friday and then the week beyond. But uh, just in the last week, the, the summer forecast from AccuWeather has uh, gotten out now uh, over the last week or so. And I know you've been spending a lot of time on that. I don't want to go so in-depth on that in this go-around, but just give me, um, let's go by region. If you could give me a one-sentence highlight for the Northeast of New England as we look at summer, what would that be? Well, I think the hangover that we're seeing in spring is kind of like the summer hangover in the Northeast where we'll have showers and thunderstorms probably sticking around into June and July, and they could be strong and heavy across the Great Lakes and Ohio Valley. So it doesn't look completely dry. It looks actually wetter which is good news because it has right. been dry in parts of the North. Very dry. My garden yeah. my garden needs some water and that uh, I don't have to pay for, uh, Paul. So there you go, right? Good news there. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are in that boat as well. So unsettled and some needed rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, if we switch to the Southeast, the, the headline I read is it looks like it's going to be, and we talked a little bit with Dan about this a few weeks ago, Dan Kotlowski, our hurricane expert. It's going to be another busy hurricane season for the Southeast. That's the headline there. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the areas, I don't know if Dan mentioned this, but we're still concerned uh, for the eastern seaboard this year. Uh, right. Last year was over the central Gulf. Now we're looking at the Carolinas and Florida. Uh, that could be a, a threat. And even South Texas uh, could be a, a threat early on in the season. But it's basically showers and storms, your kind of typical summer, uh, and holding back the high heat a little bit because of the activity level. Now, we've been in a spate of uh, severe weather stretches where we have two or three, four days and then a little break but uh, that we have to watch. But it looks like this severe situation continues into the start of summer, especially the, you know, the western part of the southeast. And as you head up uh, into the uh, like the Tennessee Valley and those areas. So those are areas that we continue to see some more severe weather, even a peak of it here as we get into the start of summer. Yeah, I think I think we still haven't really got into the good part of the severe weather season yet. April was kind of a dud. And uh, we didn't have many tornadoes uh, that uh, did touch down, but now we're seeing the action getting going. And this transition period coming up is a little later going. I think we start seeing stuff in the Midwest all the way down through the Ohio and Tennessee valleys. So the plains, my friend, uh, it looked dry and hot. I mean, drought and heat uh, are going to bake the plains, it looks like this summer. That's, that's uh, one of the things uh, I'm seeing in your headlines for the summer. Yeah, after May. Now, there was a a concern there with the crops in, in the northern part uh, being a little bit dry, but uh, they're getting they're going to get some rain here in the shorter term. But uh, we do think expansion of the drought uh, will continue. It is dry. Don't get me wrong in the Dakotas right now in western Iowa, but there'll be some wetness and then it'll get dry and it'll get hot. 
uh, as a return of that. So as you go farther out west, another active fire season. We've had Dave uh, Samuel on talking about that uh, in the last few weeks. Um, It's just (laughs) it's heartbreaking. It's devastating to know what's coming here because of the setup with the heat and the wind and everything else. Yeah, Dave is my wildfire go-to guy, and he is. He he told me I asked him just before uh, we started to speak here. What do you want me to mention uh, on the uh, forecast to Dean today? And he goes, "It looks bad, Paul. It just looks bad. So, it looks bad. It looks bigger, bigger yes. fires, and, and longer lasser, and more coverage. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, this this is um, you know if if you are in that region and you are in an area that could be prone to it, you really have to start listening and and planning ahead because." Uh, unfortunately, it looks like there's going to be a lot of people impacted with that. As you head farther north and west into the Pacific Northwest, I mean, it's it's dry. Uh, are those areas also suspect uh, susceptible to wildfires too, or is it just more the drought and the heat and the and the, for the Pacific Northwest? There will be a period where they get dry, they get hot, and they will have threats of wildfire situation and, and probably bigger fires all the way up into Western Canada as well. But if the period is shorter. Because they still have good moisture that they got over the uh, winter and spring, and it's still going to continue to go on in May, even part of June as well in Western Canada. But there's going to be a period in later June and July that things get really revved up there. And then some August and September rains may come in later on. So, you know, another place we were seeing towards the end of last summer and into the fall where we were having wildfire problems was up again in the Northeast and the uh, New England area because they had been so dry and you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of dent into that. Now you've been telling us that, you know, as we, that was one of the first regions we talked about, it was going to be more unsettled, but will we be making up for that deficit or could we, towards the end of the season, if it dries out a bit in the, in those areas, have some problems again later in the summer in the Northeast with uh, dryness and wildfires? Um, Dean, I'm glad you brought that up because it is a risk uh, later in the summer on what's going to happen in the Northeast, because over the past couple of months, it looked like it was going to dry out again and get hotter. The, the recent model run that came out is looking wetter now. So we're, that's a risk area, whether or not the back end of the summer is going to be dry and hot in the Northeast, or is it going to get um, stay unsettled and keep temperatures down? At this point, we don't know, so you're just going to have to come back. Right, so that's, yeah, that, that's one. And, and, we're, and I like that, Paul, that approach that uh, our long-range team takes in these situations where there, there's not as much evidence as we would like. And then the evidence starts changing a little bit as we're getting ready to put this out in terms of that we're, you know, these promises that we make and or, or these forecasts we make aren't promises. And I think a lot of times we're very upfront is th- there's some uncertainty, especially in that, in that regard. And, you know, we saw that uh, throughout the winter where things we had to change at times, uh, you know, during the forecast period. So, um, I know you guys work hard at that, and that I agree. I think that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on because I just it doesn't feel like we're going to get enough to make up the deficit of this. And and the pattern seems to the, the models always tell us the QPF looks like it's there three or four days out in the modeling, but then you get closer to the event, and it seems like these systems dry out. And the tropics can change everything too. Not only can the tropics just bring rain a lot of rain to a certain area. But it could change the weather patterns surrounding it as well. So that's stuff that, you know, when the when the peak of the season starts in August and gets into September, things are much more difficult to determine 
from four or five months out. So you're listening to everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. I'm Dean DeVore, Paul Pasolock, our chief long range forecaster with me. Uh, just a, a little bit of a look here at this upcoming weekend and the week ahead. Again, um, you know, we've had this kind of transition. It's either been very warm out West and a little cooler in the East or vice versa. That's just the weather, the way the weather looks. As I look at this weekend, it looks like it's kind of a transition weekend where, you know, there's uh, an area of low pressure and showers and thunderstorms over the Rockies and the mountains. And there's another area from Dallas up into the Northeast. It looks like it's pretty wet, uh, warm and dry down along the Southwestern part of the country, Maybe some showers coming into the Pacific Northwest, but it's going to be warm in the southeast. Some easterly flow showers off of uh, uh, the east coast of Florida there on anywhere from Daytona Beach down to uh, Miami, it looks like. Not a lot of moisture in the east, but not. it doesn't look like a solid, uh, gorgeous weekend from stem to stern. You might have to yeah. dot some showers. So, um, you know, typical stuff, but, you know, some of that green in the middle of the country, that looks good compared, you know, especially with what we know is coming with the dry and the heat. It's good to get the rain when we can in those places. The rain does look good. I hope it's not too much uh, going across those farmlands in Iowa and Nebraska, but they really do need some rain. And I, I think they're going to get some out of that system. The best place to be, I, I, I'm liking the southeast, Dean. I think lots of sunshine down there. It's going to be nice mm-hmm. and mild. Right. It looks good. I, I think it looks Yeah, good. it's not it's not oppressive heat, uh, which we can already start to get to in some places uh in, in May and so. So yeah, that would be a good place. Atlanta down to the Gulf Coast would be a nice place to be outside and, and do some stuff as well. Absolutely. All right, Paul. Anything uh, I know you're a busy man and won't keep you much longer. Anything else you want to kind of bring up here as we it sounds like we have one wait and see, stay tuned kind of situation for how wet the northeast is going to be throughout the entire summer. Any other of those kinds of things that you want to take a look at here over the next couple of weeks before you make some final judgments in the summer forecast? Well, I think when we come back to talk about the summer forecast again, Dean, we can talk about the monsoon season. Uh, you know, because, uh, yes. Yeah. Last year, we didn't have much rain to give nope. any relief to the southwest. Uh, this year looks a little more promising. We'll get more details probably on the next update. Yeah, let's do that. And then we also can explain monsoon because, I mean, when, yeah. you know, I think, uh, again, it's not as understood as a meteorological term uh, as, it, as it should be. So we can do a little bit of work on that. Paul, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for the time here on Everything Under the Sun. Oh, great having you. Obviously, you can follow Paul's work and the work of our great long-range team on our AccuWeather.com website, our AccuWeather network, and our great weather partners. Paul has a Twitter handle, his name, P-A-U-L-P-A-S-T-E-L-O-K, Paul Pastelock on Twitter. And uh, we'll be checking in with Paul when summer begins here in a couple of weeks and get a little bit more uh, detail on that summer forecast as we get into the first weeks of summer. Also, thanks to George Ball. I cannot wait to talk to him again. That was a, an amazing time spent with George, and we look forward to spending some more time with him going forward. Friends, we got a lot to do and a lot to talk about coming up in the near future. One thing uh, you maybe have heard about the massive uh, cicada situation that's coming to a large part of the Northeast here over the next couple of weeks. We're going to dive into that and so many other subjects as we kind of get towards the end of spring here in the next few weeks. For all of us, our amazing team members across the country, for our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, I'm your host, AccuWeather Meteorologist Dean DeVore. I'll be back on the radio this coming week on my AccuWeather stations, and we'll have another episode, episode nine of our spring series of Everything Under the Sun next week. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you then. This is Everything Under the Sun. 
from AccuWeather.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.